We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. This is your Tuesday, January 10th episode. Obviously, haven't connected with you guys in a couple days. It has, um, uh, you know, between Sunday and the disappointment of that game and Monday, I didn't really feel like there was the right time to get any content out, especially because of how quickly things were moving. So I wanted to sort of be calculated with the approach of discussing the defensive changes and potentially things lingering into the special teams or an offense. And just the, the day was moving quickly, and I didn't feel like there was a right time on Monday to really record something without going through the day and sort of finishing it all out. And um, we got a lot of good stuff there. We're, we're going to be joined by Quincy Carrier in, in just a few minutes. I, I, I want to go through the game itself that the Browns lost, which obviously was a really disappointing outcome, especially considering it felt like, again, they scored first in the second quarter. They were... At that point, I felt like they were playing pretty well and, and, and really at, at certain angles dominating this stuff. And uh, it gets really frustrating from there over the course of the next three quarters where uh, the rest of the second into the third and fourth where the Browns offense just really starts to sputter. I mean, they didn't move it well really at all through the passing game and a, a bit alarming, you know, especially considering the third quarter, uh, Watson went 0 for 2. The Browns only put up at seven net total yards in the third quarter when they really needed to. And then into the fourth quarter, they actually were able to put up some yards. But again, those were drives uh, when the game had already shifted, right? It had already shifted to a 20-7 to game, and you were playing catch-up ball at that point. Yeah, you put up 110 yards in that quarter, but it's it's ultimately too little too late. You You can't lay that duck to end the second quarter where you turn it over, you throw an interception, give Pittsburgh an opportunity, right? I mean, the, the example here is the two turnovers I talked about in the pregame uh, leading up to that game with Brad Ward and especially in our OBR show that you cannot turn the football over while Pittsburgh doesn't turn it over and get away with a win because that's just not how it works. Their defense is playing so much better of late and, and the Browns had two just absolutely critical interceptions thrown and you got to look at Deshaun Watson on both of them. The first one right before halftime at about the 130 mark, he's got two answers sitting right in front of his face. It's second and six. 
Two answers sitting right in front of his face to keep the ball moving downfield. A minute 30, you got a timeout. You're at about your own 35-yard line. Pick up those 10 yards. Keep going. Get a push downfield. He launches one downfield into double coverage, even triple coverage. I'm not even totally sure if he was trying to throw the deep middle to David Bell or if he was trying to throw the dig to uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones behind it. But there were three defenders in the vicinity. Easily picked off. Just a mistake. Obviously, then Pittsburgh takes it from a 7-7 game to a 10-7 game at half, and you're on the wrong side of things. You come out in the third quarter, you lay an egg with your possession. You give up 10 points unanswered in the third quarter because you throw a late third quarter interception. Uh, really, again, just a safety driving down on an underneath. You got David Njoku. It's three by one. You got David Njoku as the number three running vertical. A safety rolls down, squats into that vertical uh, kind of hides himself, jumps the square in behind it. All of a sudden, again, you're looking at uh, now it's a touchdown after the, the the three that Pittsburgh put up earlier on their opening possession of the quarter, and you you've got you know ten points unanswered, thirteen points unanswered out of nowhere, and really Pittsburgh put up twenty points unanswered. If you you know go back and look at the whole run in and of itself, and then it's just too little, too late. I mean, you do get it to twenty fourteen, and again, your margin for error is really tight. You get it to twenty to fourteen, but but then you give up a really long possession. Pittsburgh takes the football back at their own twenty-five. Complete, complete three massive third downs: third and eight, third and ten, third and eight again. Fourteen plays, seventy-four yards, touchdown, and that's the end of the game because it's twenty-eight fourteen. Browns don't have enough time at that juncture to come back. It's really it, and that's that's what's really unfortunate is. You lay these these late second quarter into the third quarter absolutely terrible possessions, and then it's just too little too late, and then you're putting all this pressure on one defensive possession to try to win it, and you can't do it. So, um, you know, statistically speaking from this one, I think the thing that stood out to me was, you know, of all the games Deshaun has played, I'm, I'm, it's really uneasy for me that I think this was the worst one that he's put on tape this year. He had a 38.7 game grade with four interceptable or turnover worthy plays and that four turnover worthy plays combined with a game grade um you know where it was a 37.3 is the worst we've seen from him since week five uh, i believe week five of 2018 so again that's alarming you know uh, he didn't have a game nearly this bad three games hovering in the 50s a 68 and 70 game grade um, but this one down at the 37.3 mark is is really uncomfortable going into the offseason. And like I said, it was, sorry, week six against Buffalo that he put together in 2018, a performance that even rivals this one. So that's how unseen, uh, you know, from Watson it is. And I'm just sort of uncomfortable. I said it, and I stand by it. And we'll see how the Browns fix it, and I'll write on it. I'm not going to delve too deep into detail. If you want to see the chalk talk, you can watch it tonight and kind of see more of my thoughts. But but like they're, where they're going offensively, if you take out – the, the half of football they played with Washington and five and a half, you know, halves of football, they, they put together five touchdowns. And that's just, that's, that's alarming. No matter what you want to do with the offense or where you want to take it, it's an extremely alarming outcome that they were this, it was this hard to score touchdowns. I'm not pinning that all on Watson. You can certainly look at the Browns offense since the bye week and pinpoint that there are obviously some issues since the bye week, uh, you know, including, including Jacoby Brissett starts, but Watson's arrival was supposed to help that, and it actually worked more often than not on the wrong side of things. And again, that's run game, offensive line, receiver play, all of it. There's just a lot to be looking into and a lot to talk about, analyze, and figure out where they go from here. Uh, so disappointing on the offense. The defense, 
Obviously, we know about the busted coverage and, and allowing a touchdown. They, they Again, in, in week 18, and I know you're shuffling in some new faces, new places, and all of that stuff that goes on here, but the miscommunications, sometimes guys just, I cannot fathom what run key they're reading. I cannot process why they're so late to line up. And then obviously uh, a couple busted coverages, one which resulted in a, uh, a touchdown up the seam uh, there in third and 15 late in the late in the second quarter, uh, a, a terrible situation to allow a ball to be thrown up the seam there for a touchdown to get Pittsburgh back in the game following a play. And again, they lined up really late on that play coming off of a Pittsburgh delay of game the play before. So um, again, really frustrating stuff to to digest. Uh, obviously changes have been made and we don't need to go through and rehash all of that stuff with the defense. Uh, grades wise, Tommy Togi, I Taven, Brian, Greg Newsom, Miles Garrett, Jordan Elliott lead the group at the bottom. Reggie Ragland, Perry on Winfrey, AJ Green, Tony Fields uh, are your worst graded players. The linebackers who were really good quality grades the week before Carter Ragland and, and uh, Tony Fields are, are, are making up four of your bottom five, uh, you know, five or six players there. So sorry, three of your bottom five players. So they did not play as well in this one. And that's obviously uh, indicative of how Pittsburgh was able to put up 148 net rushing yards uh, back to the Browns offensive line, which we all know how much money that they have in, invested in that offensive line and how it needs to play better. I thought Watson for the seven sacks that we saw was he was accountable for quite a few of them. I don't think he gets to be off the hook here. Uh, but the offensive line itself didn't play, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it played much better in this game either. If you're looking at just pass blocking grades, Teller, Batonio, Posich, uh, Jed, and Hudson all grayed out fairly well. They only charged one sack to Jedrick Wills and one sack to Hudson. Hubbard, who came in late for Wills, got another one. So they put quite a few of those on the quarterback. The run blocking grades, Joe Batonio was the only one with a uh, High quality above 62 run blocking grade where he had an 87. So listen, it was not an enjoyable game. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination the Browns wanted to see their season in this way, especially considering all that comes with ending the season the way they did. Uh, and we've obviously seen those ramifications, and maybe we'll continue to see those ramifications over the coming days and weeks. Um, but again, a disappointing outcome where I thought Pittsburgh played harder. Now, obviously, Pittsburgh had more on the line, needed a win. They thought that they were going to be in, the, in a chance to win this game all the way up until like five minutes left when the, the, the Jets ended up losing that game in Miami on that late field goal. So, you know, you could feel the stadium de- defeated that. But I would expect Pittsburgh to be playing harder and want it more and all of that stuff. That's not that's not unforeseen, certainly. Uh, but again, it was a disappointing way for the Browns to end their season. And again, to me, I wanted to see more positive flashes from the offense, and I thought we didn't get more of those. I actually thought it looked like the quarterback was more confused about where to go with the football, despite some answers being readily available for him than he has been at at several other times this year. And I think, again, that to me is concerning. I'm not not focusing in like crazy on the run game. I don't think in this game the Browns wanted to run Nick Chubb 25 times. I mean, they ran him 12 times for 77 and got Hunt 4 for 13. They didn't want to run it a ton, and I understand that. You know, I mean, Watson scrambled his way to 44 yards, but, you know, people are mad, and I get that. They they really wanted to try to throw the football. They ran it when they could in neutral. Again, the third quarter was entirely wiped out. They only had two pass attempts in the third quarter. That long Pittsburgh possession to open up that third quarter obviously ends in a, in a field goal. 
um, you know, coming out of the break, and then they get the football right back, and then their drive six plays, 25 more yards, and a touchdown, and then the Browns are obviously back out on the field. So it's like, you know, you look at what what exactly happened. How do you how do you justify what happened in the third quarter? Well, you got to look at even simply total plays run, and then you're just looking at one quarter at that point. So it's hard to even get in uh, a sort of game flow at that point because you haven't run very many plays. And it, it, that's why you see 16 carries because the score shifts from a 10-7 game. You know, you come back out before half. You got to try to score late at 7-7. You can't run it because you only have one timeout, so you, you try to throw. You throw an interception, right? Pittsburgh scores before half. You try you get it back one more time before half. You try to throw again. You can't throw again, obviously, because uh, you know, you're trying to score again quickly if you can before half. When you get it back, they end up running the clock out. And you come back out at a halftime, you get the ball back in the third quarter, you don't get it back until a significant portion of the third quarter has already gone by, right? So you only run in the third quarter alone. You only have two rush attempts by Watson for 28 yards, and you have two incomplete pass attempts. That's it. That's the entire nature of the third quarter, while Pittsburgh had 13 runs and five passes. And obviously they were able to put up a touchdown and a field goal before the Browns were even really able to get back out on the field in that quarter. So that speaks to why you're like, well, why they only have 16 carries? Because it goes from a 7-7 neutral game to running in terms of neutral possessions where you can run it and, it, and it and it's advantageous with the clock, you're only talking about one possession in the third quarter before you come back out and all of a sudden the score is 20-7 to seven and you're playing total catch-up ball at that point. So that's how it goes, man. That You know, talk about game flow and all that. That's the way it breaks. So disappointing ending, not going to dwell on it forever here because we want to start to focus on the changes that are coming. Uh, joined by Quincy Carrier, who I, you know, I've said this many times. I think Quincy does a great job. You should follow his YouTube uh, um, uh, channel as, as as quickly as you can follow it. You should be following uh, Quincy's YouTube channel. It's not hard to find. He has a link tree in his bio on Twitter. Go find him there. Excited to have him on the show. Let's get over to that interview with Quincy right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Quincy, what's up, man? Welcome into the show. Glad to have you here. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, big day in the Brown circles. Um, you know, as quickly as we were frustrated and talking about that game, it seems Sunday night is as 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 quickly as it turns into Monday morning. And I I wake up to a <laughs> to a message that Joe Woods is fired, and I think we all knew that was coming. It wasn't a secret, but they were hasty. They didn't waste any time. And by midday, you got five or six names on an interview list. So this is this is moving rapidly. We really didn't even get to process week 18 before we get, boom, a coordinator fired, boom, next guys that they're going to interview, a 3.30 press conference, and it's like, all right, well, the offseason is here and moving. So, you know, what's interesting to me is first, I think you got to parse back you know, what you think of Joe Woods being fired, you know, the Browns specifically were asked that question. And I think it's one that you should, you know, you should at least look into if you're going to move on from a guy, you know, you have to, you have to kind of look at uh, why, why, why was a guy fired? Right. Cause that's, that's the big thing. And, you know, I think it, I think it comes down to some philosophy on scheme stuff that they wanted to get away from, you know, Kevin said it wasn't an easy decision, ton of respect for Joe. Great man works hard, treats people the right way. But when you hear that, it's a mixture of they think that there's a better scheme out there because if they really love that scheme, they would have stuck with him. And they think there's better talent evaluation out there, talent development out there, and that's what they're chasing. So I guess what I'm looking for is we start your reaction to Woods fired and your reaction to what they had to say about it because that's the first big piece of news for the day. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that was interesting were some of the player quotes that came out after it when they asked him about Joe Woods. Um, and to me, that sounded like a voice that had gotten stale um, in that locker room. Now, I don't know if that had to do that voice got stale because the players just did not feel like the philosophy that he was trying to sell them on defense was one that did not feel that did not to them make them feel like they were being put in a position for success or if it were something else that that soured it right because you know a lot of this stuff that sours relationships within locker rooms are stuff that we'll never really know about but stuff that ends up being important down the line um so i i think it was probably more or less frustrations about things that were happening in games um this team's been terrible for about three years in third and long like specifically jake just third and long they've been pretty all right in third and short um but third and long, they've been bad. And when you just give up third and long after third and long, that has to make you start to question wh what you're doing, right? When coverage busts become routine, that makes you question what you're doing. And, and then once those things have been in this system for three years, and then you keep doing it and things keep happening and you keep complaining and things keep getting fixed and we keep seeing the same fixes to the same problems, year after year at some point you have to ask yourself is the person delivering this image this philosophy brand philosophy for their defense is he sending us to in the right direction and once you have to question that and you don't believe the answer is yes that's when it's time to move on no matter who the coach is i mean i i'm pretty sure a lot of this had to do with stuff on the football field but after a while i think this was just you can't have this guy come back um because I, nobody's gonna listen to him at this point yeah, it was good to hear some players take ownership of it. You know, I think Walker made a great quote there uh, to, to about, you know, um, 
the, the results driven stuff and the players have to just play better too. I mean, if they don't play better, I think he said that they'll be back, right back in the same situation at some point mm-hmm. uh, sooner than they would like. I, th- I think I should have noted this a little clearer a minute ago that Stefanski was asked directly if it was a philosophy scheme or other factors that led to the struggles on defense and ultimately the change. And, and Stefanski danced around it. I mean, as he would, I, I don't, I don't know if there's any benefit from trying to blame uh, anybody, right? You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to blame Joe's scheme, blah, blah, blah. He said, Kevin directly said, that's a good question. I think you have to really pull it apart. It's never one thing. It really isn't. There are things that I wish I could have done better in that regard. We look at everything. You always look at scheme, obviously, but it's never one thing. It really isn't. And I think that he's in a word salad kind of way there. He is giving you an answer. He's saying that scheme uh, didn't help to get the guys learning it, the application of multiple layers of making it difficult on the opposing offense. And I don't think it's just one thing. I think they're unhappy with player development on that side. I think Mm. they're unhappy with player relationships on that side, how things have developed between not just Joe and the guys, but, but, but certainly the uh, you know, uh, the position coaches and the guys have not. And and, and from that has not yielded a bunch of guys playing above average. And I think you and I could probably agree a lot of people playing below average. So um, not, not, listen, not an unexpected move by any stretch of the imagination, but nonetheless, it was. It's always jarring in a way to hear a coach fired and all that comes with that. And certainly, the the Browns didn't miss uh, Kevin and Andrew, who were up there, who were doing a nice job speaking in front of the, the media today, sort of covering the difficulty that comes with that. And in the midst of that, answering those questions, they reference position coaches because that's a hot topic. And you're not just going to see the Browns fire like eight position. Co- that's not how it works, right? Like they have contracts. They fire them, they pay them out automatically. But if these guys take other jobs, they can they can void those contracts and they get a different kind. The Browns will not have to pay them. This is very universal NFL stuff. Like this is mm-hmm. how it works. So what they'll do is they'll hire the next DC and he'll come in and interview these guys if they want to keep them. Right? These guys can find jobs in other places. It'll work itself out over time. You're not just going to see like the Browns Browns handed out 14 pink slips today to coaches. Like that's just not how it goes. You have fire one and then you let your coach come in. Now if a guy between now and the hire or immediately after the hire once, Hey, I got it going to the, I'm going to go to the Cardinals and do this, or I'm going to go here and do that. Like they can take those jobs, just going to avoid everything they have with the Browns until the Browns fire them. Like if the guy say Ben Bloom run game coordinator, probably not very safe here, Quincy uh, Mm -hmm. for the next job based on results we've seen this year, he quits or something. He doesn't get paid. So they're going to sit tight until the Browns maybe uh, fire them or move on from them. And we'll see what happens. I, I don't think there are many guys on the defense who stand out in particular to me from the staff that are, I guess, locks, you could come in and have a great interview and maybe that stuff works out. Right. But, um, for now it's, it's hard to see. Is there anybody that stands out to you, um, in particular about this defensive staff that might have garnered uh, another opportunity? Yeah. It's it's interesting how you describe it. It's almost like a hostile takeover at a corporation or something where the main lieutenants for the last CEO, they're usually almost always gone. But then, you know, if anybody below that can stay because it's easy to just change your your loyalties to whoever's new there. Um, That's right. But yeah, I think maybe Jason Tarver is somebody who, who holds a lot of respect in NFL. He's been a coach for a while, um, former D.C., has done a decent job with the linebackers. I mean, the, what they did this year, I think, deserves some credit, right? They were down to Reggie Ragland um, and, and guys off the street um, yeah. at the end of this year. And the linebacking play honestly was not bad. Like it wasn't terrible. And that's a, that's a feat there um, for him. So maybe Jason Tarver is somebody who stands out. Um, I don't know how much they value 
linebacker play or is linebacker play one of those positions like running back play where they kind of think that you can just get decent play anywhere. I don't know where their mind is at as far as like AB, um, the defensive coordinator who comes in and all that, like where they think, where they, where they find that on the impressive scale. But I would find that impressive enough to consider it. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, like some of the guys on the lower end, you know, like some of the assistant defensive coaches here, they're probably going to just stick around um, and because for sake of just not wanting to have to fire people and have to pay out contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, there's names you could roll through, and we'll, we'll kind of do it quickly. Like, I don't know much about defensive quality control coach Jeff Anderson and defensive assistant Zach Dunn. I've heard good things about the Zach Dunn, but, again, that's just hearsay. People that talk to him like him. Um, you know, what it, what, it, what it comes down to is if you hire, like, we'll talk about names in a minute, but an experienced coach, he probably has some guys he wants to bring with him. There's no doubt about that. So it's whether these guys – not that these guys aren't good coaches in their own right – but it's whether they have a vacancy for them to even occupy. Right. So like if I'm looking at Ben Bloom, the run game coordinator, I don't have a great vibe. They're going to keep him based on how run game went past game coordinator, DB's coach, Jeff Howard. Don't think that that went very well in terms of communication over the years. But again, a DC comes in, they might like Jeff Howard or have some connection to him. So whether they keep him or not, you never, you got to kind of read in between the lines. I wouldn't hunch. He'd be kept Chris Kiffin, obviously a very well-respected coach, for years in the Kiffin family and all of that. I'm not sure about Chris Kiffin. I mean, he tried to leave before this last year. He, he uh, ultimately ended up coming back to Cleveland. I, I, I'm not sure where that goes. Uh, Chris Kiffin probably could be a guy who's replaced and maybe even he strikes one to me who will get out before he needs to be replaced and go find a job somewhere else. Assistant DB's coach, Brandon Lynch. We'll see. You mentioned Tarver. I think that's a leading candidate for somebody to stick around and be maybe a connection liaison between the last half and the next and the last one. There's assistant D-line coach Jordan Thomas. So, again, maybe somebody comes in. They like these guys. Who who knows? We'll we'll, we'll decipher who they keep. But there's not like a standout young name or two there that we think is is a bluntly obvious name to keep. So not surprised by that. They didn't end up moving off pre for today, but he was Kevin was asked specifically about whether or not they would keep um, prefer specifically. I have to find the answer, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the yeah. most uh, supportive <laughs> answer. He said, he basically said, we'll get to all of those guys. Like we will eventually get to evaluation of those coaches and decide whether, um, you know, I'm not surprised that the Browns didn't put that up on their, on their site. But uh, um, you know, to me it was like, okay, so he didn't say he was basically asked are all the other assistants safe. And Prefer was named specifically, and he said, you know, we haven't got there yet, but we'll eventually get to all of those. And I don't know if that means, like, they're just going to decipher performance and evaluate if the performance was good enough. They know that it's a little easier to go out and hire a special teams coordinator than it is to go out and get a DC when they're in, you know, when they're in high demand and all that stuff, too. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the offense, I haven't heard much. What's your what's your gauge on that, Quincy, in terms of, like, it, it, they haven't lost anybody to this coaching staff, so these will be the first shakeups in a while. I mean, names that kind of stand out. I've heard some things about Chad O'Shea, who's the past game coordinator, wide receivers coach, heavily connected to uh, to New England. And there's some some buzz about New England who had a weird structure of like Matt Patricia calling plays, but also uh, Joe Judge, who was formerly yeah. with, like the special teams coach with the, the before he took the Giants head coaching job and came back. And so they may be pushing back towards O'Shea. O'Shea was the OC with Flores in Miami. Uh, for a year before he moved, they moved on from him. I think I'm just making sure I have that right. He was the 19 Miami uh, offensive coordinator, 2019. Um, I don't know that there'll be a ton of shakeup here or that there is. I think that 
they might add some some different voices to this to this scenario but but i don't think there's a I guess I don't think there's a giant offensive staff shakeup. I mean, I, I don't know, man. Maybe they move off AVP and try to hire somebody else at coordinator. But but I think a big offensive shakeup would be a surprise at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the offensive shakeup would be more in, in philosophy of the people who are there. Maybe you add in, like, a namer here to uh, there. Maybe you bring in somebody to be a consultant during the offseason to assist in those changes. But I don't think this is like, hey, we're going to fire AVP and, and like hire like just for a wild example, like a Cliff Kingsbury to be the offensive coordinator or something like that. I don't think anything mm-hmm. that radical would happen. And I think that would frankly be a bad sign because like that smells like undermining the coach and, and, and just all kind of weird stuff that's been going on in Berea for years that that would set off my radar for that. Um, yeah, it, it was weird. The answer for special teams coordinator too when he said it because it was almost like i don't know i read it as we really haven't evaluated that yet um and so maybe a decision comes there maybe there's somebody that they want to see if they would be interested before moving on from mike because mike has been around for a while um i i don't know what the vibe is there i got a question for you though jake you think jim leonard would be some like I know a lot of people are talking about him as DC because that's where his experience is. But as a player, he was a big special teams guy um, throughout his time in the league. You think Jim Leonard could be somebody who, who could maybe be a surprise candidate for that special teams coordinator position? Yeah, it's it's a matter of how hungry he is to get back in the NFL, right? Um, real quick before I touch on that, th- this was the exact quote Fred Greetham noted it. He said Kevin Stefanski was asked about retaining. Mike Prefer, and he said, uh, Kevin said, those things are, uh, those are things we're working through. So there is no definitive answer there. But to your question about Jim Leonard, I feel like Jim Leonard is really, really well respected in the college level um, to the point that I think as the coaching carousel continues to shake out and sometimes he, he's going to find a job. But I guess if he's really hungry to get into the NFL, I don't see him cracking into the NFL as a DC right away. I do think he could be a D coordinator, like Jeff Howard's role, right? DB's coach and pass game coordinator, and then get his opportunity. But if he wanted to coordinate a special teams, I mean, I'm sure he could. I, I don't, I don't just me, man, but I don't think coordinating special teams is that hard. I really don't. <laughs> They're all sharing drills. They're pretty much all doing the same things on specials. You get some creative wrinkles that you go out and find, or in, in, it's, I'm just, I'm being blunt, man. I don't think it's that hard. I really don't. So like, yeah, the only thing that I've heard from like, when you hear like other former NFL players talk, I don't think it's like the job of a special teams coach is more or less convincing guys who in college or maybe in their career were never special teamers to somehow be motivated to play good special teams football. Right. Like, I think that's, that's really the job of the the special teams coordinator is being able to mm-hmm. convince Largely those guys, you know, yeah, get them to buy into your your, your yeah. units, right? Because as if you listen to like John Harbaugh, what he does there, a lot of what he does is just relationship building and, and talking to people. Now it doesn't really look that great now because we don't know what the situation is with Lamar, but <laughs> a lot of what he does um, is you know if you hear how people talk about their experience with him he was a big special teams coach when he was uh not a head coach before he was a head coach and they say yeah, he's always talking to guys he's always trying to get to know people and they feel like that's that's he relates that to him being in special teams and being able to like you got to relate to these guys to be able to get them to do what you want especially when you're asking them to do special teams which nobody wants to do 
Yeah, that's that very well said because specials are certainly something these guys don't want to do. And <laughs> I again like the you know nobody, it's hard for a guy to go. <laughs> go ahead. Nobody nobody um, puts on pads at, at ten years old and says, you know what, Jake. I want to get to the league and I want to bust that wedge. You know what I mean? Like, that's just yeah, not. For sure. <laughs> yeah. You go from being a dog in college to, to coming into the league and, and, uh, and, and being told, Hey man, we're going to need you to be that L seven. Can you, can you handle yeah. that role? We need you to lock that down on kickoff. Like that's not, that's not fun, but there are guys out there like, you know, the special uh, clip that went around this year, right. Of, I think it was, is it Bryant Reeves? I can't remember his, I don't remember his first name, but the the young man with the, with the commanders, who's a special teams guy who floated from, practice squad to active roster multiple different teams and like you need those core guys now i think i think the browns have been let me put this way i think the browns have been fine the special teams we're mad mostly at cade york and that's just kick make or miss we don't really know if cade is getting some sort of coaching from prefer that's distracting from what he already cade knows how to make kicks man like he knows how to do that he's been taught that throughout his life uh, we don't know if if Prefer's over swing coaching him. We don't know. We we can guess. Largely, I think our most uh, frustrating things that happened this year was an onside kick recovery, which I picked apart and I didn't like how they went about it. But these things are popping up around the league. And then another fake punt in the Jets game where they threw a they threw a speed out right, like they threw a speed out on a fake, and that happened in another game this year. Two times that came up this year. Once the uh, Chiefs hit it on, no, the Rams hit it on the Chiefs. And then late in the year, the Vikings tried to run it against the Colts in that that first quarter on first half onslaught, and people were picking on him. And I'm like, hey man, that play's actually worked twice in the league this year. My my general point is the difference between you want your specials to be a net positive, but the difference between bad specials and great specials in the NFL is nowhere near <laughs> the width of bad to great offense or defense. So like I'm with most people who think they should replace prefer. I'd have no problem with it. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, I really don't think it's that big a deal. If they do move on from him, to your point, they're going to be some interesting names that end up coming up. And if Jim Leonard was, I don't want to be in the NFL or the college level anymore. I would really love to be in the NFL. And maybe I don't want to be a position coach. I want to anchor something, be a member of a, you know, be a leader of a unit. That could be something he was, you know, he can handle. He was a decent punt returner during his day and, and all of that too. And he did a bunch of specials at the NFL and certainly was a great special teams contributor at Wisconsin back in the day. But yeah, I don't know where that goes and we got to see what happens with Preef, but that's certainly in the realm of possibility. Our, uh, we'll close with this uh, sort of wrapping up here. Like guys you're interested in, like what, let, let me phrase it this way, Quincy. We'll start by my first part of the question is what do you want? Like what kind of guy do you want to lead the defense and then from your desire for this type of player, or sorry, this type of coach, this type of structure defensively, this type of philosophy, who fits the mold for you of the names you've heard interview uh, requests have been into? I don't know if that request of interview, I don't know if that means those guys on the other end of that request have been like, yeah, I'm in, let me in. Or if it's just a, hey, we called Denver, or hey, we called uh, you know Pittsburgh and said we want to interview Brian Flores. I don't know if that's an accepted bid to be interviewed, but I, I, I'm I'm uh, I think we got some names now. I'll pull up while you're answering the type first. Yeah. So for me, I think I'm looking at this as what does the coaching staff, the main leadership of the coaching staff, what does it feel like they need, right? And one of the things I do think they need is more of a diversity of perspective. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that were there kind of came up from the same background. I mean, they, they all came from Minnesota and that's that uh, background there. And I think maybe you need somebody who comes from something a little bit different. 
Um, so somebody who's outside of that Minnesota spirit of influence, I would want. Um, also, me personally, like I would love a former player in that position. I think mm-hmm. this coaching staff, there's Stump, who played a very long time ago. Um, and there, there's guys who are on the staff that maybe aren't at very high positions that have been former players, but there's nobody at a significant position that that's a, that is a true like former player. When you think about them, um, you kind of remember their career there. I think there is something to what uh, what is it Dan Mitchell in, in <laughs> Detroit who's actually gone like all the way with this theory. There is something to that of having guys who have done the grind being able to relate to these guys, and I think you would have better relationships, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, which for any team, like what, what you ask defenses to do, it's going to be a little bit more of an emotional side of the ball because you're asking dudes to just hit dudes. Like that's it's a very emotional thing to ask somebody to do. So you're going to just naturally, when you filter that out, the guys who are willing to play defense, you're going to get more emotional guys there. Um, so I think player management is a bit more important on the defensive side of the ball, um, especially because everybody feels like they should be contributing at a high level there where it's not like offense where for wide receivers getting the, not getting the ball. It's just I'm not getting the ball. You know, what I mean, it's a very simple explanation of why they're not being productive. So there there's that. I would love a former player. I think that would help a lot with some of the locker room things we've seen pop up. And I think. Um, even with Kevin, like I think there's moments where Kevin has a blind spot because Kevin didn't really play in the NFL, right? He played in college and everything else. So I'm not trying to negate his experience, um, but there's stuff that you will learn from just being a guy who's been in the league 10, 12 years um, and having that in a position of power, I think would be important. Um, I would love somebody who me personally is going to want to build this defense out from the the perspective of how do we force all of these single teams onto Miles Garrett? Like I don't want to read another year of PFF of uh, advanced numbers where Miles Garrett is leading the league in double team rate. Like I understand he's going to be up there, right? But let's try to make it less easy for other teams to go that route with Miles because this is a no brainer right now. Like what are you going to do? You, you're going to double Miles, or you know, you're going to give one on ones to to Taven Bryant. Like, obviously you're just going to double miles and, and live with the one-on-ones that you're giving to Taven Bryant. So I would love that they build out the defensive line. If that's a point of emphasis, I don't really care if it's three, four, four, three, I would actually prefer four, three, because I think you have some solid linebackers here. And I think a lot of them aren't going to really make that transition well to four, three, I mean, to three, four, if you do it. Um, but I mean, most of that stuff's flexible now. So yeah, that's, that's basically for me. Like I don't, have a preference on how many times per game this guy has to blitz. Is he going to run man or zone? All of those things are kind of interchangeable and a good defensive coordinator is going to find the balance. Um, It's more or less like I want a certain background for that guy because I think that would help when it comes to some player relationship stuff. And I just don't think, Jake, like I just don't think it's going to take a genius to get a good defense out of this roster. I think they need the angle of a couple things. And I don't know if this is all wrapped into one guy, but somebody, the players respect to your point. Like they Mm. need to, this guy needs to immediately command attention, whether that's something he's done coaching or something he's done as a player, he needs to command respect right off the bat. And, and, and I think I would prefer some, I'd lean into somebody who has either been a head coach himself or been, either a DC or like committed to a place that has won at a high level. I I want somebody Kevin can lean on 
to say, hey, man, uh, give me like just just somebody to give them direction here. This is what we did in 2018. We did this back in 2012. Like that sort of stuff, I think, would be good. But but above all things here, I think they need a unit leader, another like, you know, I'm not saying you have to have guys who are sort of head coach A and head coach B, but I think they need a head coach type of their defense like they really do. Kevin's demeanor is never going to be crazy. And I appreciate that about him. Like I appreciate the level headedness of the offensive side and what he's trying to do. Even if some people hate that he looks at a play sheet, although every play caller looks at a play sheet, like he just is very, no, they're always mad. (laughs) Like they, the Denny's menu jokes never stop. It's the funniest thing. But like, to me, I would like a bit, a bit more boisterous, a bit more leadership and defense. As you know, Quincy is a hungry, hungry nature. It is, Mm -hmm. it is a feasting, attacking, uh, approach to football that you really need your guys to buy into that unit, all that comes with it. So those are little personality traits I think would be great to your point about scheme. Most things are adaptable, um, odd front, even front stuff, you know, somebody like a Mayo or Flores have come from backgrounds who are really a, a malleable between jumping between front types. If the Browns do go somebody from that new England tree, there is no doubt they're going to have to uptick some of their de- like, you know, New England and, and largely what 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 um, and we'll dig this dig into this more later. But, you know, Miami, they were DB heavy. I mean, like they live in dime like they would just dime you to death and do a bunch of creative stuff. So I don't I, there's some personality to sorry, not personality, personnel tweaks that would need to happen with some of these guys. You know, there's like let's going through the names that came up today. Um, Jim Schwartz, the former Lions head coach with the Eagles for a long time right now as a defensive assistant with the Titans. Um, he was the first one of the he actually wasn't the first one. He came a little later uh, and for, as far as uh, announcement of interview requests. Brian Flores. Those are the two leaders to me. I think Flores is going to be pushed forward by the players. And I even think there's going to be people in the front office, maybe even ownership who are very into Brian Flores. I wouldn't be surprised. I know that might come as a surprise to some people, given what Flores has out there against the owners in the courtroom. But I do think there's going to be a push for him. I also think there's going to be a push for Schwartz. Like he's got an Eagles connection. Andrew Barry was there. I think. People seem to think that he has developed a nice answer. He's very creative on the front stuff. I put this on my Twitter timeline, very creative on defensive front stuff and does a great job for the Titans anchoring their defensive fronts while they've kind of Shane Bowen has done a nice job with their secondary and coverages to those fronts. Has he learned? Has he adapted? Can he bring that with him? Obviously his Eagles connection to Barry is, is interesting. Sean Desai has been around the league for a minute uh, again, but a, a very well-educated man. I think he's got some Ivy league background. He was with the bears as their uh, DC in 2021. He's now with Seattle. He's of interest. Gerard Mayo is very well regarded out of, um, out of new England, their linebackers. Cause it's interesting that the, the new England doesn't list a defensive coordinator. It's very peculiar, but everybody you talk to, says Gerard is leading the defense, making the play calls, and is very heavily involved there. So I don't know if there's some semantics hurdle title thing going on there uh, in, in New England that they're uh, yeah, they building the it that way. Flores was there, right? Because he uh-huh. was only a linebackers coach technically too, right? It's it's very strange, but that's what they that's what they do. But Mayo has gotten a lot of credit for being in front of that. Now, the only other name not missing that was 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 talked about today was um was Ezero Evero, who is over in um, Denver. But Evero's getting head coaching uh interview requests so like he's going to interview for the head coaching job in denver and he's also going to interview in the in houston i think he'll end up interviewing in some other places so i think if he doesn't get a head coaching job and whoever denver hires is not him obviously doesn't retain him 
he's interesting. But the timing of that, you get the vibe. I think you and I, Quincy, both get the vibe. They want to move quick here. Like this is yeah. very fast and they want to hire someone. So I don't think that points in a great direction for Evero uh, in, in Cleveland. But of those five names, is there one, two that you really like there? Yeah, I think Flores is probably the leader in the clubhouse for most people, right? Um, he He's the one that everybody's kind of most familiar with. When you talk about the contrast to the stuff that does bother people about Kevin, even though some of the stuff that bothers people about Kevin is kind of ridiculous, but like he is, he does provide some contrast for people who do desire that um, in him. And he's not somebody who is like a, he's not, you know, like Greg Williams where he, he actively like players hate him once he leaves. He is somebody that the players who have had him do respect him immensely. Um, and, you know, he has earned a lot of credibility around the league amongst players because of his because of uh, they feel like he's principled in his stances too with how he handled his whole exit from Miami. So he he's somebody who, if the problem you felt like was less schematic and more dramatic, right, for, for a better way of phrasing it, mm-hmm. um, and you felt like it was just they just didn't respect the guy telling them what to do and they just need to be able to respect the voice in the room, Brian Flores is the guy you hire. Um if the problem is, you know, uh, maybe you need an adjustment schematically, then maybe you look somewhere else because, you know, Brian Flores is good at that stuff, but it would be a drastic change. You would have to change some, a lot of things with what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I would think Brian Flores, there is what Sean Desai is in there. Um, he's currently with Seattle associate head coach. He was a defensive coordinator for bears. That's interesting, right? Because I'd have to learn about him more. I, he's the one that I don't know enough about. I, re- I really don't. Yeah, because he was in Boston College for a while and just was in Chicago forever um, mm-hmm. with Matt Nagy and them and the John Fox stuff. So that's an interesting one, like that he's on the list. That's one of those ones where you have to look at and go, why is he there? Um, maybe there's something there with that because I remember the same exact thing when we saw Kevin on the list in 2019 for interviews. We're like, why is Kevin on that list? Um, yeah, I have no idea who fact. he is. You know, so maybe there's something there, some kind of connection there where they, they feel really good about. Um, but yeah, Brian, Gerard Mayo's interesting. I don't know if they feel like he has the experience to do it, you know, because he's what, even if he's been the de facto leader of that defense um, in New England, he's still only been in that role probably for about, what, three since 2019. And that's his only um, role that he's had as a coach, but he is a well-respected NFL veteran. People are going to listen to him um, if he comes in. So I think, you know, it, I think who they bring in is going to say a lot about what they felt like the issues were with Joe Woods um, in, the, yeah. in the entire defense. But I think it's probably I would I would lean towards um, Flores. And if it's not Flores, it's Mayo, because I think the problem was more or less guys weren't listening to the voice in the room more more than anything. Yep, I'm with you. I think that that's uh, the angle that I lean toward, too. I do think Barry will try to sell um, some things about Schwartz he likes. And I wouldn't be surprised if Flores or it may, and it, just because they hire somebody doesn't mean they didn't offer other people and they didn't take it like this is still. A, a battle to convince somebody to come here. In my opinion, mm-hmm. it is not like a lockstep. This is a great DC. I mean, I'm curious from your perspective, like if you're a guy, a Mayo looking for his first DC role, labeled DC role, Flores looking to get back into the DC role, potentially pursue another head coaching job, Schwartz who will be demanded in many different play. Like, is this a desirable job for you given everything surrounding the situation with Kevin and the roster like I'm curious what you think of this job 
I would say if maybe for Flores, you would have a bit harder of a time convincing him. But Gerard Mayo, I think you would be able to convince him pretty pretty soundly. And I think a lot of that has to do with Miles Garrett's on the defense. And if you feel like you're a competent defensive coordinator, you should be able to have a significantly, a very high floor with how bad the defense is going to be with Miles Garrett, right? Like that, that is a player that you want to have on your defensive staff. You do have a lot of good corners on this team, right? Like, so some of the hard stuff that's there to get is kind of taken care of. And what we're really talking about that needs to be fixed with this defense is defensive tackles. And while it seems impossible, given what we've seen with this team over the last few years, it's really not that impossible to find good defensive tackle play. Like teams do it all the year, all the time. DJ Reader was like had for, well, I think a fourth or fifth round pick from Cincinnati. Um, and then they got BJ Hill along with that. Like they were a terrible interior unit the year before they make those two moves. All of a sudden we're talking about them as one of the top in the league. So, it's it, the issues that are there to fix with this defense. Just, I don't think would be catastrophic issues, right? It's not a, we don't have enough talent or maybe if they felt like, I don't know what the opinion of, of miles Garrett is behind the scenes, but I don't think it's a bad one. Like maybe if they felt like maybe if miles had the personality that we've seen from like clowny and you had to deal with that, maybe that would be something that would just like detract people from wanting to take this job. But I don't think miles has that problem. So I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't want to take that job. And I think you can convince them because, you know, if you're the defensive coordinator of, of, of the year that Miles Garrett gets like 22 sacks or something like that and wins defensive player of the year, which is al- almost always seems like a possibility with him, you're probably going to be a head coach within a couple of years. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about a lot of that, man. To, to me, it's it's labeled as this way personnel wise I don't see many people turning it down I, I I think you're you're arriving in a situation with some pretty experienced but yet young talent but the the vibe you have to come in and I think any desirable candidate here will will come in and certainly be paying attention to what's the vibe around Kevin like do I have any wiggle room like if we don't hit this thing ground running right now what does it look like? That that's the question I would be asking, Quincy. If I'm if I'm arriving as a in demand coach mm-hmm. here, what are you? What's your plan? What is the plan? And if things don't go swimmingly in the first six games or or whatever, that's who, you that's, know that that's, that's the question. What the problem is right. Yeah. So that's like, if you're Brian Flores. I would really want this to be clear. Y'all not trying to make me the interim head coach, right? No, and people are acting like a DC would love to go a place that would do that for him. No, yeah. man. He does people not want that, that because no. that's a lame. Like he, he is, he's one of the things he complained about the most was like, I was put in a lame duck situation. Exactly. He wants to avoid that. Exactly. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that the Browns have going against them is like, how convinced given the Browns history, can you be that you're not going to be in that lame duck situation? If you're Brian Look Florida. at Steve Wilkes, Quincy, who just took Carolina from the mm-hmm. cusp of dead to a borderline playoff opportunity, just beat the Saints in week 10 by, by holding them to seven points. And I know the Saints aren't God's gift to offensive football here, but they had Sam Darnold threw for like 56 yards and they won. So like that, if that's not a guaranteed Steve Wilkes, you get this job. Like imagine, come on, man. Like this is the, the interim coaches. I mean, the Freddie Kitchens debacle is the Freddie Kitchens debacle here, but you don't see interim coaches get jobs. So it's not like a guy's going, mm, man, Got to go to Cleveland because if we suck, you know, that's what we're all playing. You know, if we suck, 
I can get this job halfway through the year. Now, I think ironically, we're talking about this. I think that's why Todd Haley was brought into Cleveland all those years ago. And I think why Haley <laughs> loved that opportunity. And then he got fired out of nowhere and he didn't even see it coming. But anyway, like that's not something. <laughs> well, coordinated. Could you imagine the, the oh, snake off between yeah. him and like Hugh Jackson? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I could just see Todd Haley being like so pumped up. And then they, then he's like, all right, got the job. What do I got to do? Let's get prepared. And then in, in walks Jimmy Haslam and, uh, fires him too uh, it's just uh that, that was a funny twist everybody thought that was like okay todd haley will be the next uh, interim head coach and blah 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 but like that to me is not something somebody who's serious is chasing and like and especially somebody who like we know the haley thing was an arranged uh you know a marriage from ownership mm-hmm. above that, that brian flores could not be a more different person yeah 100 percent hundred percent. And it doesn't feel like they're going to force Kevin to hire. It feels like based on everything they said today, it's very much, we're all going to give our opinion, but Kevin's hiring this guy as it should be. Cause he works underneath Kevin. And then obviously um, it's about Kevin selling himself and selling how they're going to keep this thing rolling and so on and so forth. So I just think that little spin has been out there about some of these guys, like trying to come back and get this interim job. Like, like guys go into d- to coordinator positions chasing, oh, I could be the interim head coach here. Like, yeah, come on, no, man. They bring, they bring in Jeff Saturdays to be interim coaches these days, yeah. man. Like, they don't do that stuff. So, yeah, and if Brian um, Flores, yeah. like, also, like, he's not going to want to leave what is a pretty stable situation in Pittsburgh. 100%. It's got to be with, the right job. That right he can time. trust that yeah. hired him at that time. So, you know, if he feels like he wants to leave, it has to be for something that he feels like is just as stable. Um, and just as like, you know, he doesn't want to have six weeks to figure out his defense. And then all of a sudden he's the head coach and now his responsibilities change. And what if his defense falls off a little bit? Right. And he has to try to run the offense again. He doesn't want to be in that situation. It's not a benefit. Right. It's something that is actively working against the Cleveland Browns. And people think that this could be an interim coach situation. And it's something that, you know. I I would hope ownership like I don't even know if it matters that Jimmy came out and like had like an emphatic statement of support between Kevin because we've seen him do that before and it means absolutely nothing. Um, But it's just you wish the resume was there and that's what you're hoping to build by keeping Kevin that, hey, you come here to be an assistant. You don't have to worry about everything scrambling six weeks in because the, the owner got mad and fired everybody. Right. That is something that's working against them. And why I don't feel like it's a it, it's a more than 50 percent thing that Brian Flores ends up here. You know, yeah. that that's what, if I had to put a finger on why I don't feel great about him coming here is it just doesn't feel like a situation that he's going to feel right about. Yeah, it's got to be right. It's got to be some wiggle room because it is going to be a complete if you go that route, the Flores Mayo route. Those are aggressive guys. And that's a complete mm-hmm. philosophical mm-hmm. change from uh from what they've been doing around here for a while now, which has been a very passive funnel approach to football. So um, a lot, listen, a lot of moving parts. We will, um, I know myself on my show and Quincy's YouTube channel will also keep you apprised to everything we hear. I mean, again, like, I mean, I know they've requested to interview these guys, but we'll see if they actually do interview them. There's a chance these guys turn it down. You never know. Those things don't always come out quickly either because there's a whole bunch of media trying to paint the perception of jobs and all of that too. But everything that changes in the coming days, it feels like it's going to be a hasty process. Uh, we will keep you apprised too here. And, um, you know, Quincy, listen, man, I know uh, I've talked about it all the time, but your YouTube channel is fantastic. And I know you keep people apprised to everything going on there. And, um, you know, I talked about it before I brought you on and they, they know where to find you and we'll continue to have you on and I'll stop by your show whenever I can, man. Always appreciate the banter. Always, always. It's going to be a long, long off season, Jake. Um, 
Yeah, I kind of wish I could just talk about the XFL during the chunk of it. But we're going to be talking about Browns every day. Um, don't worry. Um, but it's going to be a long offseason. It's always good to have you on. Uh, can't wait to senior bowl time. That's why I think there's such in a rush to hire a, co- a defensive coordinator because they know the senior bowl is going to be an important evaluation for them given where they're going to be drafting. And I cannot wait for senior bowl season. Yeah, I'm, I, like you, am, am ready to um, see them hire someone, turn the page, and figure out the next step. Because, you know, right now you're a little bit of limbo. But, again, that limbo is something we have to cover, and we'll continue to do it. And Quincy's fantastic at uh, getting some evaluation from him. Thanks again, man. No problem, man. You have a great one. Thanks to Quincy for being here, obviously. Thank you guys for showing up as well. There's a lot of great stuff going on at the OBR Uh, including uh, forums that we're putting out there called The Buzz, where we're going back and forth as a staff on what we think of these new defensive coaching, um, you know, rumors and all of that and our thoughts on scheme and how it all fits together. That's really great for subscribers. We're also going to be introducing a film room forum, which will be a place for myself, Tyler Maines, and John Stephenson to post OBR film content or little tidbits or thoughts or plays that we think are interesting for you guys as subscribers. So make sure you take advantage of that as well. Again, follow Quincy's YouTube channel. I go there, visit his show. He comes on my show. Always greatly appreciated from him. If you're looking for some content of mine written form, I wrote up a little bit of a, a interesting angle, I think, on the Browns stealing plays and uh, th- this particular play in the game we just watched Sunday that was a really successful play but had a penalty and it was a great idea to take it. The idea was perfect. The timing of the call was perfect, but the execution was poor. And the devil's in the details is the concept I'm talking about. And that's what the entire offseason is going to be about for this offense is how do they solve the little details that they're missing? So that is a, a written piece of content you can find for myself uh, that is up on uh, not only my Twitter timeline, the OBR film breakdown uh, Twitter timeline. Uh, uh, should still be up on the OBR homepage. So check that out. We'll have some more throughout the week. I will continue to do my best to keep you apprised to all the things that we hear about this defensive coordinator situation and any other staff changes or big news that comes down the pipeline. Thanks for stopping by. Have a fantastic Tuesday, guys. Catch you Wednesday. Until then, go Browns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.